this week's edition for the Wise Up TX podcast. This is your host, Azra Siddiqui. As a reminder, Wise Up TX is my platform to inform the South Asian community about Texas and national politics. You can find us on all forms of social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also find our podcast being played on um, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Google Play, and last but not least, you can hear us on Radio Azad on Coffee Mornings with Aisha on Monday mornings. All right, everybody. We all know that there's a huge election coming up. It is the midterm election, and early voting begins October 22nd, so that's literally less than a month away. Um, you still have time to register to vote. The deadline is October 9th, so it's literally not far away at all. Only a couple of days left. So if you have moved recently since you last voted or you haven't registered at all, please, please make sure you register to vote by October 9th. Again, um, early voting begins on October 22nd until November 2nd, and election day is November 6th. Okay, everyone, now that I've given everyone a reminder to register to vote, it is time to start wising up on who is going to be on your ballot. So I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again. This is a midterm election, so while there may not be a presidential candidate that's on the ballot, there are several other well-qualified candidates that are on the ballot that are wanting to help you out and represent you in state and federal government. So on the federal government's um, spectrum, who will you be voting for? Well, you have a U.S. Senate election, and this is probably the biggest election. Senator Cruz against Congressman Beto O'Rourke. And then you have your U.S. representatives. So there are several districts in Texas. Every single one of them has a congressional representative, and they are all up for election this cycle. On the state level, you have a huge election as well. You will be voting for your governor, lieutenant governor, um, attorney general, agricultural commissioner. You will rep- you will also vote as to who will be your representative on the state level that you will send to the Texas Capitol. On top of that, you some of you, not everyone, will also vote for your um, senator that represents you at the Texas Capitol. So again, lots of people to vote for. That's why it's important to start wising up. Don't worry, Wise Up Texas will be here with lots of information and graphics right before um, early voting begins for you all to have the opportunity to learn about the candidates and what their platforms are about. But today we do have an interview for y'all, and it is with Mike Collier, and he is the Democratic candidate for Lieutenant Governor, and our current Lieutenant Governor is Dan Patrick. Now, um, you may feel that a Lieutenant Governor um, does not have much power. It, they have a lot of power, and some even argue that they have more power than the Governor. You may be wondering, like, how? How could they have more power than the Governor? Well, um... They actually preside over the Texas Senate. And so just a brief recap, the Texas legislature is just like the federal legislature in which we have a House and a Senate. And like on the federal level, the vice president oversees the U.S. Senate. Here, the lieutenant governor oversees the Texas Senate. And in this situation, the lieutenant governor is able to figure out which bills will be heard on the Senate floor. So even if a bill is liked in the Texas House and gets passed and gets sent to the Senate, if the lieutenant governor doesn't like it or does not like the person um, who is the author of the bill, he he or she can kill it. So that is a lot of power because that is someone who has the authority to 
um, kind of see which bills do get heard, which bills do get passed, and which bills do get argued on the Senate floor. So if they don't like a certain bill, they're not going to allow it a hearing, they're not going to allow it to get to the Senate floor, and therefore that bill would be dead. So um, that's why it is very important to, you know, see who gets elected to be lieutenant governor because they really do have the ability to kind of restructure the way that the um, that the Senate is run and the legislation that gets to the floor. So just um, a little bit about Mike Collier. Um, he hasn't necessarily run for um, any sort of political office prior to this. He is... Um, has a CPA and has a background in working in many accounting firms and big businesses. And he feels that um, there are many things that need to be fixed um, within the Texas government. And, you know, some of those are, you know, lowering property taxes, properly funding public education, um, you know, expanding the coverage for Medicaid by accepting the federal grants that are uh, given under the ACA and um, many other things. So I hope you all will enjoy this interview and learn more about him. And of course, you can check out his website, collierfortexas.com, C-O-L-L-I-E-R-F-O-R-T-E-X-A-S.com. Joining us today is Mike Collier, and he is running for Lieutenant Governor of Texas. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So would you mind telling us a bit about your background and why you feel you're qualified to be the next Lieutenant Governor of Texas? Okay. Well, I'm certainly happy to do it. And uh, once again, thank you very much uh, for uh, allowing me. Uh, so my qualifications for Lieutenant Governor, I've, I've never held office. Okay. So I, I'm a certified public accountant is what I do professionally, and uh, for many years was a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers, and um, you know I've lived all over the place. I've lived in uh, Austin, and Dallas, and New York, and Houston, and I've traveled all over the world. Um, and what I do for a living is solve complex financial problems. Okay. And I decided to run for office because we have some serious and complex financial problems plaguing the state. Such as what? Well, we have a, a property tax system that isn't working, and so it's very property taxes are very high. Okay. For homeowners and small businesses, and so we should talk about that. All right. And then, uh, despite the fact that we have very high property taxes, we don't have enough money uh, to have an excellent public education system. Okay. And, and unless we solve those problems, uh, we're not going to live in the state that we want to in five and ten and fifteen years. And so those are my qualifications for the job, and that's why I'm running. All right, so um, I'm going to kind of go back to you talking about property taxes and the education system. Um, so, yes, property taxes are becoming higher, and they're essentially what's being used um, to fund our public schools. So, you know, my it's kind of a two-part question. One is how do you want to change this? And I know, like, many candidates are talking about um, using, you know, what's in our budget to fund these public schools. But, you know, the way the budget is set, um, you'd have to kind of take from other parts of the budget to fund public schools better, right? No, actually not, Osra. There's, uh, there's actually uh, a reason why we don't have enough money, and it has to do with policy decisions that have been made over the years. 
um, and uh, one of which is the one that I'm working on. And so and it's in the property tax law, and, and the issue dates back to 1997. Okay. And there is a defect in the property tax law. Uh, I call it a loophole. It's something that everybody is aware of and nobody does anything about. Okay. And uh, it, what it does is that, uh, you know, if you have a property that's uh, subject to property tax, then you, your property has to be valued at market value. So if you're a homeowner, then your property is marked to market at market value. That's why taxes are going up so rapidly because value, house values are going up. Right. Um, now, the, the Texas Constitution says that everybody who owns a property subject to taxation uh, must pay taxes based on the market value. It's just as clear as a bell. In All the Constitution. Right. However, there was a defect introduced in the appraisal process back in 1997. Okay. And because of the defect, the owners of large commercial and industrial properties, so these are the owners of refineries and petrochemical plants, uh -huh. skyscrapers and the rest, they uh, are able to sue the appraisal district and underpay their taxes. And so it's unconstitutional. Uh, and it's not right. And they've been doing it for a long time. Interesting. And, uh, so much so that uh, back in 2006, the large appraisal districts in the state uh, calculated that $4 billion was missing. And these are people that are underpaying their taxes. Uh -huh. and, and everyone knows about it. So what we must do, in my opinion, first is to close that loophole. Because until we close that loophole, the rest of us aren't getting a fair deal. And, uh, and so this is not raising taxes. I don't, I don't like raising taxes. Uh, this is really just enforcing the law. Okay. But it's very, very unfair to, and it does two things because they're underpaying the taxes so, so dramatically. One, All right. it puts upward pressure on property taxes. And two, there's not enough money for schools. So the only thing that I propose to do as lieutenant governor is to close that loophole and then recover that money. And then let's see where we stand. All right, so let's say hypothetically speaking, you are able to close that loophole and you're able to attain, I believe you stated $4 billion, right? That, that That's what the state's been missing out on because of this loophole? Well, that was a calculation that was done in 2006. And so inflation would suggest that the number now is uh, $5 billion. Okay. Nobody knows exactly how much it is because it hasn't been calculated comprehensively in uh, over 12 years. The $4 billion figure from 2006 was perceived by everyone who looked at it as a fairly reliable number. And so uh, that would lead to the expectation that it's $5 billion now. Right. And so let's say you still need more money, right? Like apparently we're underfunding uh, public education like $3 billion, right, um, according to the latest data. So what what if you did have to cut something in the budget like what would you cut in order to make sure public education was you know properly and completely funded by the state right so so let's assume that we do close that loophole and recover that five billion dollars that that means that you know more you know businesses are going to be putting in more money there's no uh, escaping that we must also uh, reinvigorate our performance reviews to make sure that we aren't wasting money you got you can't do one without the other in my opinion Okay. And the performance, the performance reviews were initiated many years ago by a uh, comptroller whose name is Bob Bullock. He went on to become mm -hmm. the governor. And it's a little bit like an internal audit function at a big corporation. They were meant to be, the performance reviews were meant to be uh, an independent sort of examiner. Right. Go in and look at, look at spending at the school, primarily at school districts, but now we also uh, spend an awful lot of money uh, in the healthcare arena. Right. But they would function as an internal auditor and say, you know, is there any waste? Is there any fraud? Is there any abuse? 
and you would uh, make sure that your money was being well spent. So you really, you really have to do those two things, and those two things are an important part of my agenda. Close that loophole to recover that money. Mm-hmm. At the same time, reinvigorate the performance reviews, which have they haven't been done, done in a long, long time. They need to be done, uh, and then, then, and only then can you decide. Okay, how if that doesn't solve the problem, mm-hmm. then what is the next step? Well, those are good things to know to see how you would do uh, moving forward with the Texas budget. Um, I'm going to pivot over more to social issues. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure if you know this, but Texas has filed the most Islamophobic bills than any other state in this country. Um, well, not necessarily they've all passed, but that's pre- a pretty large number. Um, right. You know, being lieutenant governor is one of the most powerful positions in the state of Texas. Uh they get to decide what bills would be heard on, you know, the Senate floor and be voted upon. That's right. And so if you are the lieutenant governor, what would you do to stop these types of, um, you know, uh, I'm losing right. the word. Anti-Islamic. Uh, no, well, yeah. Anti-tolerance, anti Yeah, anti-inclusive, anti-tolerance right. type of legislation because Islamophobic bills aren't the only type, right? Like they've been some other pretty... Right terrible bills out there, but for our community, it's, it's something that's been really, um, impacting us. So what would you do about that? Well, I would say I'm very concerned about that anti-Islamic sentiment. It's uh, developing in the, in the United States of America. I, I, I am repulsed by it. It's bad. It's the wrong way to go. Uh, I am very much for, uh, tolerance and inclusiveness. I mean, that's my pedigree, so to speak, coming out of PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is a global organization. Uh-huh. Uh, I've, I've been to mosques. I have a, an actually uh, practicing Muslim on my team. I've had many relationships with Muslims in my professional life, and I'm very concerned about the direction we're taking in terms of anti-Islamic sentiment. And it's not only that, but it's a, it's a, we're not getting along uh, in many respects uh, right. in terms of tolerance and inclusiveness. Now, what can I do about it as lieutenant governor? Well, two things. First of all, I can set the tone at the top, which I will do, uh, and be very vocal about the importance and the value and the worth right. of being tolerant. But then specifically, as the lieutenant governor, the lieutenant governor's got extraordinary power right. in the Texas legislature as president of the Senate. Um, there's not one thing that comes through the Senate if the lieutenant governor doesn't like it, and it doesn't happen. Exactly. I you, Oscar, there will not be any bill that comes through that Senate that's anti-Islamic uh, or anti-anything related to tolerance and diversity. And uh, they might try it, but they ain't going to get through it because it's the wrong place to go. Uh, and the good news is that the vast majority of Texans are with me on this, Osher. I mean, I traveled the state. I've been working on this for five years. The vast majority of Texans feel the way I do, feel the way you do, that we need to be inclusive, respect diversity. Um, we had an expression back at PwC that we find unity in our diversity. And it might sound glib, but it was kind of how we viewed the world and how we operate. And the vast majority of Texans feel that way as well. It's the minority that are running uh, the Senate mm-hmm. that don't share our point of view. And the best way to solve that problem is to fire their leader, Dan Patrick. All right. So um, I'm going to basically end this asking you, why do you think the South Asian Texas community should vote for you? Well, I'll say this. Obviously, I would, I would welcome the South Asian community to vote for me. I have wonderful relationships um, with many people from in the South Asian community, both from my professional life and in terms of what I'm doing politically. 
Uh, and so I would welcome the support, and I look forward to working with you. Uh, the folks that are going to vote for me, Osra, mm-hmm. are, uh, are people in Texas who are concerned about public education, and they recognize the importance of an excellent public education. Right. Uh, the folks that are going to vote for me are the ones that, that want to make sure our tax system is fair. Okay. If something's wrong, something's terribly wrong. Right. And they want tax system to fair. They, it'll be people that um, have a very strong desire to live in a society uh, that is inclusive and tolerant. Uh, and, uh, and, and of course, we, talk, we didn't talk about health care. We didn't talk about gerrymandering or other technical things that I want to do. Right. But, um, what I would invite the South Asian community to do is have a look at my website and have a look at what I stand for. It's uh, in very sharp contrast to my opponent. So it's not a difficult decision, and um, I'm inviting those that share my point of view about these issues to join me. Okay. Yeah. Well, sure. thank you so much, um, Mike. And you know, I know we're coming down to the wire, uh, getting close to That's the right. deadline for early voting, and I mean, for registering to vote and early voting. I mean, probably just like a month away. And so, days. yeah, exactly. And early voting is 31 days. So it's, it's important that our community understands the necessity um, of going out to vote for this election cycle. So I, That's I right. hope That's we show up to the polls and best of luck to you for the rest of your uh, campaign. And I wish you well. You. All right, folks, that's our interview for today and the segment. I hope you all enjoyed it and have wised up on who the candidate is that's running on the Democratic ticket for Lieutenant Governor. Don't forget the deadline to register is October 9th and early voting begins October 22nd. All right, everyone, don't forget, let's get wiser, let's start giving a hoot, and let's get out the vote. Until next time.